Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Just like that, the final hour is here for Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. And we are so excited about the final hour that we're starting it a minute early. We are. Every hour on the hour, that's our delivery to you. We're so excited to get going. We'll start it one minute before the hour even starts. Every single time. How about that? For today only. Hey, let's applaud ourselves today right now. Look at that. We're just working harder than everyone else out there. Working harder than everyone else. Amazing. You know how you can tell a hard worker when they tell you how hard they're working. That's usually this, the telltale sign. Uh, that's how, how hard of a worker. That's how doing. you find a fake. That's how you know. Yeah. So you that's find how a you fake know. right there. Yeah. Uh, no fake uh, for Skip Holtz. Championship last year, back in it for the USFL. Uh, the head coach of the Birmingham Stallions, Skip Holtz, uh, longtime college football coach, and of course uh, the son of Lou Holtz. He he will join us coming up in 20 minutes or so. Uh, looking forward to that chat. Chad. Longtime coach at West Virginia, what, 16 years? Bob Huggins, West Virginia, his alma mater. Um, and over 900 wins combined throughout his college basketball career. Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer. Long overdue, even considering that uh, there's no championship by his, by his name. Um, what a pitiful way to end that career. Uh, over the last month and a half, two months, and the saga that's gone down uh, with the Cincinnati radio appearance where he says uh, homophobic slurs, uh, the and, same and word slurs, over and over. Slurs, by the way, is the, the right term. Yeah, Because yes. he said it while slurring. Yeah, and it's just, a, man, it, I didn't expect him to keep his job when, it, when the news broke that day, and he did. And the final straw, at least from the West Virginia perspective, where perception for me is reality, I'm looking from the 30,000-foot view, is the DUI charges over the weekend in Pittsburgh, where he doesn't know where he is, how he got there. He, he told police, and they asked him 10 different times, at least 10 different times on body cam, where he was, where he thought he was. And uh, the best guess was Columbus, is what he said. Columbus, Ohio which is like 131 miles uh, in the opposite direction of the, the, the way he traveled. Uh, it's, it's sad. It's, it's uh, you know, it's also, I know a lot of people get angry over this with the DUI. It's the second one uh, of his uh, career, of his life, but of his basketball career. And a year after he uh, was pulled over, I believe, for his first one, chat, he resigned from Cincinnati a year after. Roughly, that led to kind of the... The fallout there. I think as 2004 well. was his last DUI while yeah. coaching at Cincinnati. Yeah, and then he's been at West Virginia since when? 2005 or six. Shortly right? after, so I think right 06. There. Yeah, so I mean, it's just uh, it's pitiful. That that's how I would describe the the way he goes into retirement, and you know the 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 handling of this from the West Virginia standpoint. Did they get a pass based on how this all went down? They, they practically, they, they didn't ignore what happened on Cincinnati Radio, but they ignored what happened on Cincinnati Radio, right? They docked his pay by a million dollars. 
they put his contract on a year-to-year basis when uh, the, the, the sentiment was from those that were covering the game and that are insiders within college basketball, they thought he was on his way out anyway after next season. And this was the parachute. And instead, it happens immediately. And I, I guess the questions will be answered based on who they hire next and how quickly they go about this process, given the fact that I mean, they're already late to the party for, for this. This is not the time to be hiring your, your next men's basketball coach. But also, like if it was already written in or at least assumed that someone on his staff was going to be elevated to take over a year from now anyway, that's the direction they're going to go. And I think that will confirm all of the assumptions at that point. West Virginia, one of the few places where you can get away with what Bob Huggins did for as long yeah. as he did. And then when it comes public like that, when we heard that interview in the, on the Cincinnati radio station with the multiple homophobic slurs, I, I thought what everyone would think, especially in 2023, when you see something that public is, well, this guy's going to get fired immediately. And he wasn't. Why? Because Morgantown, West Virginia is very different from most places in America, especially one that has a high-profile university located on, on, on the grounds of the city. So they were able to insulate things and keep it out of the spotlight and do exactly what they wanted, and exactly what they wanted was to retain Bob Huggins against all charges coming against him from the public, from everyone else. You've heard Dan Dockich on the Southkick Network talk a, a lot about Bob Huggins and some of the shortcomings with him also. And then to have Bob Huggins, after really getting a break in all this, that he was able to continue to be employed after the interview, just a short time later, have this happen. And you said the right word. It's sad. It's just a really sad ending to what was a very successful career for a really good basketball coach. Wherever he ended up, he did a good it, job, but man, this is it's, it's definitely insulating there because it's not the end of a job, too. It's the end of a career. You know, this is not right. just the end of a stint right. early in your career where you can come back. There's no professional coming back from this. And to me, that's what's really sad about the whole situation. And given his age, I, I think there's yeah, a professional I, coming back. I uh, hope he figures things out and gets better. And if this were 10 years ago, meaning his age, I, he's going to be 70 soon. Like, I don't think there's another spot for him yeah look i, but, I hope but i, I do I uh, hope if chris beard good, is immediately hired he could be right but I, I don't know because again chris beard is one big very bad but one big incident this bob huggins thing oh, yeah you're right people that know know and like, go back and listen to the interview well, west, the, i know the guy I sounded know. drunk in the morning west virginia knew when he did it that's that, what that's what's so crazy is that and, but the insulation he must be really good with people but the or very intimidating but that i don't know how he wouldn't have lost his job i don't i don't he, I, i've never met him he doesn't come across as a very friendly guy so i don't know how he i think he can be very charming that. I think he can be very charming. Watch him in interviews and with people and, but we and have hearing friends, about stories of him with recruits. He can be very, very charming. But we have friends uh, in Birmingham who've been cussed out by him for no reason, really. Yeah. For, oh, no, for following that, signs in an in a, 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 a athletic facility at Cincinnati. Yeah, Nick Saban's the same way. I mean, he's an absolute jerk when he wants to be, but he can also turn on the charm yeah, but it, and be he's great a champion, with people. A multi-champion. There's a difference there with... With Huggins, it's just like, and well, I get it's not, alma mater. He's not, he's not an but, alcoholic. 
also Nick Saban. I mean, that, that's my whole thing yeah. is Bob Huggins, his career is great, and he wasn't at a ton of places that have won at the highest level, and he's done a good job. So on court has been fine. But my big question, Mark, is if you are someone who's been around Bob Huggins and you heard that interview, you've heard those words from him routinely, probably before, yeah. but you've also been around him when he's really drunk, and when, you probably knew that was the case also. So to have that much faith in someone or to like them enough to say, we're going to give you a slap on the wrist and you're going to come back, then to have this blow up in your face like this, yeah. it just makes... And he has a lot of people defending. It's not a defending sad him, ending but, to a career. But trying to form or phrase this whole departure a certain way like the the reporting that you know the the players are extremely upset like devastated that he's stepping away despite all of this you know uh it's you mentioned it it's insulating i think that's a perfect way to describe the the basketball program and it's sad it's a sad end the professional part of his life and i only hope and pray that the rest of his life is successful that he gets things figured out and that he's got a successful end to his actual life and not his basketball life. Because the end of the basketball life is pathetic and sad. Yep. Wyndham Clark wins the U.S. Open at Los Angeles Country Club by a stroke over Rory McIlroy. And, Chad, I was, I don't know, I just came to the realization midway through the, the final round yesterday, right before Rory had the, he fell back by three strokes. He was tied at the time, I believe. But around that time, I'm thinking, man, um, I'm pulling for Rory and not the, not the American. I feel odd doing this, but I'm all in on McElroy and not Wyndham Clark with a chance for him to win his first. Um, I guess Ricky Fowler would have been a great story, but I, again, I, I saw McElroy make a move and I'm thinking all aboard the Rory, you know, uh, j- jump on board the momentum here and not the, the story that Wyndham Clark became yesterday by winning his first major after making the cut at the U.S. Open for the first time previously on any major. He had finished no better than 75th. I mean, he's an amazing story. But McElroy's trying to break a nine-year drought of major championships. And I was pulling for him. The putter was not. It let him down. Could do no better than par over the final five holes. And despite back-to-back bogeys for Wyndham Clark, he hangs on with a great putt that was, what, 57 feet away from the hole. It puts it right next to the cup. Tap in. Perfect lap there, putt. Y- y- yes, there's your U.S. Open uh, champion. A couple of things and takeaways. Number one, CBS and Jim Nance, as far as golf coverage goes, I don't appreciate what they do until they're not calling the major championships. I far prefer the CBS broadcast over what we saw this weekend with NBC. By far. The NBC picture-in-picture looks like something from an era where picture-in-picture just became a thing. It is so outdated looking. Just their graphics. Do you notice that when they would go live on each hole and there was all of this like empty space in the boxes instead of a split screen? And I'm like, I can't even see what's going on on the individual holes because you put them in two tiny boxes. It's as if they've not done golf before. (laughs) I was extremely embarrassed for NBC on some of the coverage and even the little highlight thing that'll go on the leaderboard and flash over the name as they do it. I just, I was not overly impressed. Now I was impressed with Dan Hicks making the joke about um, when they got to the 14th hole and it's the playboy match over top and 
they had a great shot lead up there. He's like, there's some action. He's like, and right behind this hole, has seen a lot of action over the years also. That's the Playboy <laughs> Mansion and Dan, back there. Now, that was good. Dan Hicks did a fine job. Yeah, he's good. Uh, but I, I just, uh, to me, it felt like a broadcast for the Kentucky Derby and not the U.S. Open. You know, they were going uh, around the, the course early. And I realized it's a primetime event. They're trying to take advantage of the, the rating there. They're pushing the guys at the top of the leaderboard, not the guys who are just finishing off uh, the, the final round uh, of, of their Sunday afternoon in Los Angeles. But I, I'd rather just watch some of the, the bigger names that weren't playing as well. I'd rather see more of John Rahm than some golf expert tell me about the undulation on the 15th hole and how it's going to be a, a tough play on the back of the green five hours from now whenever Ricky Fowler tees off. That felt like a Kentucky Derby broadcast. Pimping out the, the actual race instead of, uh, you know, how many times can you make a mint julep every year? Uh, that's kind of what the, this U.S. Open broadcast was for NBC for me. I thought one area where they did a good job was hammering home the story about Wyndham Clark's mother and sort of mm -hmm. his personal story throughout the round. I, I like the – not everybody gets in that. I like the human interest side of it in sports, especially with golf, instead of some of the technical stuff. I really enjoyed that part with the NBC coverage. Um, I did post the question, Hutton, if it's fair or foul, to root for a non-American in the U.S. Open if you're an American golf fan. And the first response is from David, who says, it's golf, not team sports. Root for whoever you would like in that setting. Um, yeah, it's not the Ryder Cup. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I get all that. But I, I don't think there should be a hard and fast rule for it. I will say I'm normally rooting for the American challenger. If there's an American close to the top of the leaderboard. I, I didn't notice it for but about I'm 10 also, holes, though. I'm not hearing you saying I root for Roy McIlroy, and I'm disgusted or anything with that. Yeah. Because nine times out of 10, when I don't have a dog in the hunt, I'm rooting for the story. And to me, the story would have been lapdog Rory McIlroy mm -hmm. gets egg on his face after his daddy, Jay Monahan in the PGA, merges with Live Tour, and he made fun of Liv for a year, then rallies and wins the U.S. Open two weeks later. Like, that's a story. That's a big-time story had that happened. And instead, the story becomes more of the same for Rory McIlroy. He's a guy who can't – he's not clutch. He can't hit putts when it matters – on the Sunday of a major, and it cost him once again. And Wyndham Clark did just enough. Wasn't terrific, but he did enough on Sunday to, to hold him off and win. Uh, just one other quick observation. Los Angeles Country Club may be great in person, and they had some great backdrops. It's a beautiful course. The, I, I didn't get the sense that they actually cared that the U.S. Open was there. Um, the, the, they, they limited fan attendance, not by tickets, but the fact that they had 14,000 of the 23 or 24,000 that they uh, allowed on sale, 14 of them were for hospitality, 14,000 hospitality tickets behind the, behind the scenes, behind the ropes access uh, to the L.A. Country Club and not the general admission tickets that you, know, you, you, you see at the U.S. Open where it, it makes for a great fan atmosphere and it's loud and obnoxious and awesome. I didn't get that same vibe. But also, this from uh, Zyre Golf. I saw this yesterday, Chad. 320 acres. And we know where it sits and everything that surrounds it. It's in the middle of Beverly Hills. So they have a $250,000 initiation fee if you're invited to join their club. Uh, the club has a 1,000-page rule book. This Goodness. is the NCAA here we're talking about. A 1,000-page rule book. 
when you join. By uh, the way, that rule book exists just so they can throw you out for anything, anything they, want, they want and just claim it's one of those rules that everyone violates, but they're only going to do it if you do something that they just don't want you in the club anymore. So the land alone, the property alone, is worth $8 billion. Oh, my gosh. It's the second most valuable piece of real estate not developed for housing behind Central Park in New York City. It's Los Angeles Country Club. Think about that. That's crazy. $8 billion. But here's the craziest part. The $8 billion land value typically would mean hundreds of millions of dollars in property tax alone. And consider it's in California. They pay annually on an $8 billion estimated property value, $220,000 in taxes. How? That is... How do they do that? Is it just a grandfathered-in deal with the city? I mean... Like who owns LA Country Club? I'd like to know the ownership group now also. You're not allowed to know. I yeah. mean, that is crazy. $220,000 in annual taxes on an $8 billion piece of property. Second only to Central Park. I like that. Fact. Private club that didn't even want the U.S. Open there to begin with, and then Jay Monahan bows out two weeks prior to the tea, the tea time on, on Thursday. They, they didn't even allow uh, guys into, you know, you, typically if you're not playing like in the Canadian Open or whatever, you would fly out and play the course like we saw in Tulsa last year. Fly out and play the course throughout the year whenever you have a weekend off or a, a Monday or Tuesday prior to going to your next tournament. They didn't have that option this year. Weird. that uh, they, they chose a spot that had really lobbied against it, quite frankly. And they, they proved it by buying up all the tickets so the general public couldn't get in. I'm excited to see it go back to a place where they're excited to host the event. Right there with you. Skip Holtz. He's back in the playoffs. We hear from the Birmingham USFL head coach. Plus, we'll get his opinion on where we're headed in college football. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Glad you're with us for Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow here on the Outkick Network. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Uh, just south of us, uh, Coach Skip Holtz joins us. Birmingham, the, the Stallions, uh, back in the postseason, uh, officially defending their, their USFL championship from last year. Uh, and this year, hosting a USFL playoff game. Uh, number one seed in the South Division. I mean, Chad, we shouldn't have expected anything less 
coaching his team, making it look easy. Dominating uh, the league now for the second in, straight in year. year two. By the way, back to back playoff game starts on uh, Saturday, NBC and Peacock, and that will be the North Division Championship. And then uh, on Sunday on Fox, Birmingham and New Orleans, uh, they will kick off uh, at uh, the UAB uh, Stadium there. Uh, Coach, great to have you back on, and I uh, hope things are well. Congratulations on certainly following up last year with another very successful regular season. Well, I certainly appreciate it. It's great to be back with you guys again this year. Um, it has not been easy um, getting here. You know, there have been an awful lot of changes. I know a lot of people want to try and compare this team to last year's team, but it's it's so different in so many different ways and so many new faces that are on this roster. It's, you know, I, I thoroughly enjoyed last year. And, I mean, the run that we had and the success we were able to have on the field was just was awesome and the support we received from it. But uh, this year, what, what I didn't realize is how much turnover there is from year one to year two in a lot of these a lot of these spring sports. I mean, a lot of these guys are here to uh, try and get another opportunity. And we had a number of them that got their opportunity in the NFL. And uh, some guys are just ready to move on. And so uh, a lot of new faces, but I'm certainly proud of what these guys have been able to accomplish uh, and just the culture that's been built and the success that they've been able to have on the field. Coach, I think you'll understand where I'm going with this. But uh, Chad and I were uh, heavily involved last year uh, through the, the draft of the USFL and everything else yes. that went on. And I, I was curious going into that because there were a lot of uncertainties, especially the, the head coaches that didn't really know how things would be structured uh, right. as, as they got things going. What was your what was the strategy that you went into as you built your roster? And do you think you figured out something that others didn't early on that allow you to be seventeen and three in the regular season through two seasons? Well, I think we came when it first started. I mean, we were in February last year. Uh, we didn't have a player on our roster. You know, we were coaches with no team. Yeah, uh, it was kind of an eerie thing going into it. And you kept telling yourself, you know, in sixty days we got to play a game, and we don't even have a player on our roster yet. Um, and so it was, uh, it was unique in the way that it happened. But what we did was, I brought the staff down to to our home in Florida, and we spent a week just watching film. And we put together our uh, kind of like our draft picks, the order that we liked our position players by from every position on the roster. And then every coach went home and called the top 10 players at his position and then called me back and we re-ranked them all. And we we drafted not only players, but we drafted people. And it's one of the things that I learned in college recruiting after all those years is the the formula for success is much deeper than a combine. It's much deeper than height, weight, vertical jump, speed, uh, how much you can bench press, et cetera. So much of it is about kind of will and want to and desire. And what's their why? Uh, why do they want to play the game? What do they love about the game? And so once we put, once we started interviewing them all, the, the draft picks changed. And all of a sudden it went from, you know, number five was number one and number three was now number seven. And we re-ranked them all and we drafted people. Uh, and just really it made it a lot of fun. We've got a bunch of great guys on this roster. And then this year when we went through free agency, we did much of the same thing. It was more about the interview than it was just about their talent level. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that's made it so much fun and it's built a camaraderie and a culture. And I think these guys are really close. They're really together. Uh, I love their workman's type attitude. I mean, like last week we were down 
14-3. They return an opening kickoff and then go down and score. We're down 14-3, and nobody panicked. Nobody flinched. There was, was no bickering on the sideline. People were lifting each other up. It was very positive uh, and kind of in a workman's type attitude and just let's go get it done. we got three quarters left to make up an 11-point deficit here. And uh, I just think they did a they did a great job. But I think it all starts with the culture and the quality of people and the character of the players that you have in your organization in order to be able to have success. I I once heard a statistic that uh, the New England Patriots would only draft players that had graduated from college uh, because it meant that those guys were willing to work and see something through. Uh, it's starting to make more and more sense to me now that I've had a little bit of taste of professional ball. Chad, I think he's describing uh, Scooby Wright at linebacker. Yeah, uh, certainly a fun guy. Coach, you mentioned, mentioned that last <laughs> answer about players finding their why. Um, yes. How have you found your why these last two years? Has it helped you kind of rediscover everything you love about coaching and at this level? And how, is, how has that helped you? Because you've certainly been very successful at this. Well, I, I got some advice um, when I was talking to um, oh, uh, old coach from UCLA. Um, God dog it. His name's leaving me right now. Uh, it'll come to me in a second. I'm having my Halfheimer's men in a second. Dick Vermeil? Uh, no, <laughs> uh, no, but I was, uh, Rick Neuheisel. I had, called okay. Rick New yeah. I, I had called Rick Neuheisel because he had been involved in these spring leagues. And I, I said, Rick, is this something I ought to get into? Uh, tell me about it. And he said, you know, Skip, you're, you're going to get in. It's a startup league and, and everything's not going to be as smooth as you want it to be. And you're not going to be in control of everything like you are in a college program. He said, but when you get involved with it, he said, if you get involved with it because of the relationship with the players, he said it'll be one of the greatest things you ever did. Uh, go to dinner with a different player every week. Start getting to know these guys a little bit, getting to know them and who they are and why they play. And really, there's a story behind every number that's out there on that field. Uh, and I got into it that way last year. My wife and I called it our adventure. And you know what? It was one of the greatest things I've ever done. Uh, honestly, I it gave me a joy for coaching again. Uh, I've absolutely loved it. I've loved the relationship with the players. Uh, I, it is just kind of a, a stress-free environment where you have the opportunity to coach, and it's all about giving these players an opportunity to grow and develop because they're all here because they want something. Uh, they're not here necessarily as the end. Uh, they're here because they want to use this as a stepping stone to get another opportunity into the NFL. Some guys know they may not get another shot, but they just love the game. They love the camaraderie. They love uh, the, the opportunity to be part of something bigger than them. Uh, and you get around those guys and you start to learn their why. And all of a sudden, uh, coaching is just taking on a whole nother. It's not about wins. Uh, it's not just about building a program uh, in a college atmosphere, but it's about helping young men grow and develop. And that's the main thing that I have loved so much about it and why I have enjoyed coaching so much and why am I, I'm having probably more fun than I've ever had in coaching. South Division Championship game this Sunday, June 25th, 6 p.m. Central Time on Fox. Coach, being down there last year, we could definitely tell a difference when Birmingham was playing down yes. in Birmingham. And here's an opportunity to host a playoff game for the first time in 38 years uh, in Birmingham with the Stallions. Uh, what has it been like with the city embracing you guys? And what kind of opportunity is this for you to host this game in your hometown? It's been it's been incredible. I mean, really, the support. You know, year one, uh, I think there was a lot of people maybe that, you know, is it here to stay? I'm not going to – how much am I really going to get involved? This is going to be a one-and-done, fly-by-night operation, or is this thing really here to stay? 
Uh, and I can tell you, the USFL is here to stay. I mean, with the support that they have right now with uh, Fox and NBC and the, the things that they're doing right now, and I think Daryl is doing a great job of leading this group. Uh, I think it's here to stay, and I think as it continues to go, more and more people are starting to buy in. You're watching attendance as it continuously rises, and I'm really excited about Sunday night. I'm really excited to see. I wish it was Saturday night, but, I mean, I'm really excited to see the crowd uh, that we're going to draw in there on a Sunday night for a night game. You know, when you, we've been playing these games at 2, 3, it's 95 degrees, it's hot, it's sunny. Uh, I think this will be a great opportunity for Birmingham to really show their support. But I think the picture that you're looking at there on the screen, we went to Memphis, and we've got a whole crowd that came from Birmingham up to Memphis to support uh, and our crowd in Memphis was great. I mean, they were loud. Even I mean, with we, the weather. We, yeah, that's awesome. We ran out, we ran out of the tunnel. I thought we were going to get booed, you know. <laughs> I mean, uh, and we ran out of the tunnel, and we got great support, even in Memphis. So uh, the fans here, the people in the city of Birmingham have been phenomenal. It's been incredible just the way that they've embraced this. Um, this is a – this state loves football. It's in the southeast. And this <laughs> – excuse me – this is professional sports in Alabama, professional football, uh, and it's really been very well received. We've got a great following, uh, and it's been a lot. Of, it's been a lot of fun to watch it grow, and I look forward to it continuing to grow uh, as this thing continues into year two, three, and four. I think it has a chance to be a real mainstay. Skip Holtz uh, with us, head coach of the Birmingham Stallions. You can catch them against New Orleans on Sunday. Uh, that will be on Fox, seven o'clock Eastern. And, mm -hmm. uh, of course, the, the game uh, as well from the North Division uh, you can catch on uh, NBC and Peacock, 8 o'clock Eastern on, on Sunday evening. Coach, I, I, I'm curious uh, from this perspective with name, image, likeness and everything that we're seeing in, in college football, your longtime head coach and assistant coach, but head coach at Louisiana Tech, uh, East Carolina, South Florida. Um, but from this angle, from this angle, you're, you're yes, yeah, you you're very connected with coaches that are still in the college game. How draining is it right now versus what it was on on the assistants, on the head coaches, what, just behind the scenes from what you're hearing? Are uh, are guys enjoying it as much as they used to even five to ten years ago? The the landscape of college football has changed tremendously, obviously, in the last five years when you talk about the NIL and the transfer portal. Um, I think what it's become, we, we just, we played a game in, in Memphis this week and the University of Memphis is hosting uh, a bunch of official visits. I think the, the hardest thing right now on, on coaches in the college game is there is no break. There is no time off. There, you're, you are recruiting 24-7 uh, year round. Uh, if you're not on the high school calendar when you can go out in May and spring recruit, and then you can go out in December and January and do home visits, um, you have that time period that has always been uh, a demanding time for college coaches, but it's ended. You weren't allowed to be on the road uh, outside of that time. There were dead periods. Uh, now, all of a sudden, you have the transfer portal recruiting, and that doesn't have a calendar. Uh, that doesn't have a timeline. And so you're constantly, every day, uh, you're waking up, new players are being thrown into the mix. I mean, it's just a, it's an exhausting, uh, it's an exhausting process right now. It's part of the, uh, part of what you have to go through to build your roster. Uh, if you don't want to get involved in it, then, uh, and you want to decide to, you know, to to stick to the old school the way it's always been, you're going to get left. Everybody else, there's a lot of talent that's jumping into that portal uh, it's happening after the season. It's ha happening after spring football. 
you look at you know you look at what's happened at Colorado. I read a I read a, an article that Colorado only has like ten returning players off last year's yeah. team, yep. uh, and that's that's an eighty five man roster. I mean, I'm, we're we're dealing with fifty. I mean, this has been a whole new experience for me. Uh, I brought the team up, and it was like, okay, where's the defense? Somebody go get the other half. You know, <laughs> it's like this is it. This is all you got. Well, in college, you've got eighty five, and to see the turnover that's going on right now, and I know the stories are going to come because right now it's so new. Uh, but the stories that haven't been put out are the players that have gotten into the portal and been left. Players that had college scholarships that got out, that, that wanted to go to another program, that thought the grass was going to be greener elsewhere, uh, and they don't have a choice. And some of these young men are, are, are I'm going to say, some of these young men are uh, don't want to go in the portal, but they're told that they're not going to be renewed. They're not going to be brought back for next year because they're not – uh, the caliber, or maybe they think the, a school thinks that they can get better talent. So some of these players are, uh, are kind of being pushed out a little bit into the street or into the transfer portal and end up not getting a new home. Uh, I don't think that's what the college experience was all about. That's not the the part of the game that I loved. Uh, like I said, I love uh, the part of development. I used to love watching a player come in as an 18-year-old freshman uh, and then walk out as a 22, 23-year-old man and watching them grow up and watching them uh, red shirt and watching as watching them grow as a player, watching them grow fundamentally, watching them get bigger and stronger, watching them grow as a person, watch them grow as a student to see the pride they have in, in earning something and walking out of college with a degree. Uh, that's not what it's about anymore. And now it's about uh, bigger, faster, stronger, and constantly rolling over your rosters and seeing what you can do to get better. So it's just changed. Uh, I think it's certainly a different college football landscape than than I walked out of even just three years ago. Uh, and so I think it's a, it's different for sure. Thank you for the perspective and the depth there because I, I, I know that coaches, no matter where they are, are thinking about where we're headed with all of this. Uh, and, and, and thanks for the, the time today. And I'll say this, like you are all in on the USFL. You, you embrace yes. being in the, the home city. Uh, the home crowd, the fan base, uh, and I think the USFL success in large part from year one to year two has to do with the coaches that embraced the the overall aspect of everybody's watching, listening, and learning all at the same time. Thank you for the help right. with, with our show, for, specifically from last year, and best of luck as you defend the title, and uh, we'll be watching on Sunday, Coach. Well, I look forward to doing this again. You guys have always been great. Enjoy visiting with you. Uh, appreciate the coverage and what we're trying to do here. Uh, but I've had an awful lot of fun. And giddy up. We'll see everybody Sunday night at 6 o'clock. Come out to Protective Stadium. Support the Stallions. Thanks, Coach. Skip Holtz has been our guest. Coming up, uh, an injury from a Price is Right celebration. That's the hot mic. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Been a fun show, fast-paced show today, Outkick, uh, Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. Strange story of the weekend, and I have not been able to find clarification on this, Chad. Um, this was Saturday afternoon. My dad saw the story. He goes, because we had, one of the Father's Day weekends, or July 4th or something, we drove to St. Louis. And here in Nashville, you're either driving to Atlanta or St. Louis or Cincinnati to watch Major League Baseball. We went to the Cardinals game to switch things up a bit. And yeah. David Freeze was coming back. I believe he was with the Pirates at the time. He was coming back through. He got a massive standing ovation from Cardinals fans, who were some of the nicest fans going. Very he, good ba- baseball market, but St. He, Louis. You know, he's got the, the, the World Series stardom for the, the Cardinals uh, back in like 2011, I think, The World Series against the Rangers. Okay. He was the hero. So he has been selected or was selected to go into the Cardinals Hall of Fame, the St. Louis Cardinals Hall of Fame. And then he wrote like this lengthy um, acknowledgement of, of the... A manifesto? Ap- no, it wasn't. No, that would have been released. Sorry. Still uh, trying to figure out. No, this lengthy oh, write one. Uh, statement about why he was not going to accept the honor of going into the St. Louis Cardinals Hall of Fame. Um, just declining the in- induction. He cited personal opinion is what he cited. But it's, it, again, it's lengthy. And he, he, he goes, I realize how this is going to come across. Uh, I get it. I feel strongly about my decision. I'll understand how people might feel about this. I'll wear it. Thank you for always being there for me. I'm excited to be around the Cardinals as we move forward. So it's not like he's, he's not on the outs with the organization. I, that was my first thing because the organization then responded uh bill dewitt the third the the cardinals president said he was disappointed in freeze's decision but ultimately they respect it and he's welcome around for any alumni function they ever have um but five seasons the fans absolutely adore the guy and he's declining the option i it's weird i and, and to each his own but i mean he's He's the World Series MVP for that season. So he's the World Series MVP, and he's not going. He's he's declining the induction into the Hall of Fame for the organization. And, and he's more than that. He's from the St. Louis area. He he went to Wildwood yeah. High School close by, so he was like the hometown kid who grew up a Cardinals fan, who then became the World Series hero in their 2011 World Series championship against the Texas Rangers. Now, his playing time fell off by the 2013 season, and then he was traded after the 2013 season to the Angels. And I don't know if there's still bad blood about that because the Cardinals did trade him away. That's how he was no longer a Cardinal. No, I don't think so, though. I I really really don't. I I think that would have been portrayed better through stories written about this. No one's really putting a reason behind it other than just, like, personal – uh, thoughts on his impact on that season. Again, uh, to each his own. I just there's more to that, right? There's got to be than just yeah. Sorry, fans. Not, I'm, he, I'm not going to accept it. He does not feel deserving. It's one of the reasons he stated as to not doing it. It, it is. It's weird. He currently lives in Austin, Texas. Does not live in the St. Louis area. But I'd like to know the rest of the story. Or maybe uh, he's just like Jimmy Butler and he just doesn't like Hall of Fame inductions. For three hours each weekday, Chad, we have a hot mic here on OutKick. Uh, sometimes, though, it's not a great 
uh, thing to figure out, especially if you were. We don't want a literal hot mic. If you're a, if like you're we're a, about to a TV reporter uh, who thinks that you're off air after um, discussing a, a murder, a report on a murder, and uh, you're heard across your television station because your mic was still on. In the newsroom, Giselle Hood, WVUA 23 News. Thanks, Giselle. Three people, including a child, were shot and killed in a domestic violence incident in Orlando, Florida. Police say the suspect in the domestic violence slay. incident died in an officer-involved shooting. She says slay because she she did a good job with the report. Yeah. yeah, after rehearsing it, no, who, who knows how many times. Uh, just very unfortunate uh, that she's saying slay as the anchors are going through the the murder investigation. Let me say this: both unfortunate. And very fortunate, because do you know how much worse that oh, could have been? Yeah, you're right. Based on That's what she was saying, point. how friendly she was with the camera person there, or who she was talking to, or what she was commenting on about the murder of multiple people. Oh. If she was saying an off-color joke about it, but she or if she was joking with someone else not even about the story. I don't know if she heard the story. There was if the promo that, coming up. I think she was just talking about her. Yes, no, that's report. my point. Like, if that is your hot mic moment, I mean, if that oh, would, if yeah. that's my hot mic moment, You'll I'm like, it. oh, thank yeah, God. Yeah. Because the moment, and we've been around hot mics before, the moment that it happens, immediately your mind races. What were we just talking about? When I mean, we we've, we've done radio shows where I'll get multiple texts saying your mics were on the entire break. Yeah, during the commercial break. And, and I'm like, thinking, I'm what, looking at my producer first off and saying, please shut the mics down. Yeah, what did Chad and I just discuss? And then Hutton and I are just thinking, oh, how bad was this? <laughs> am, do I, am I still employed? That's my first thought when I hear hot mic. But that girl was just saying she did a good job. She was patting herself on the back by saying she slayed it. I, I'm good with that. Again, always unfortunate to have a hot mic. Very fortunate that's what was caught on the hot mic for her. Chad is uh, back from a weekend of pitching and uh, the coach pitch uh, softball league with his daughter uh, where the team is, is vastly improving uh, in this travel league as they play an age group up uh, based on the, the time allowed uh, for these teams uh, to travel together in these, these all-star leagues. Um, Chad, no, no sign of any elbow or shoulder issues. No, um, I started to cramp up a little bit late Saturday. Did not do a good enough job of hydrating. I preached to the girls, start hydrating a day early. I want a gallon of water in you before the day of the tournament when you're playing multiple games in the heat. It's a lot of water for a what is it, eight, nine-year-old. About inning four of game number one, I'm like, I need to. <laughs> I had to go to someone in my traveling party and say, go get me a sports drink. I need to chug one right now and then start drinking more water because I was dehydrated and started to cramp up a bit. Something happened in this tournament that has not happened to me before. Um, there was a very vocal group of coaches for a team that we played and I'm all for you being vocal, just not towards me. Leave me out of your being vocal. If you want to yell at your kids and get them hyped and crowds getting into it, I'm all for that. But do not direct it at oh, me. Oh, you're going to get that more often now. You and know he, why? Here's the example. Because you, you're, as the coach, again, I know, I know your competitive nature here. You know the rule book very well, likely better than the opposing coach. And so I think you're going to hear more of this, not less moving forward. Well, because I'm you're going to run circles around whoever's the opposite dugout of you. 
We started doing that. You know, you know the ins and outs better than the umpires. Well, yes, but here's the problem: (laughs) it's still the umpires' decision to make. I know. know. So at one point, I turn to to you though. In this tournament, you could have a courtesy runner, a pinch runner, once an inning, and it could be anyone. Doesn't have to be the last recorded out. You could put anyone in. We were struggling running the bases. Very close games on Saturday, but struggling running the bases. I wanted to bring in a courtesy runner, and I go to the umpire and I said. I'm going to bring in a courtesy runner. He said, there are no courtesy runners in this tournament. And I don't have the rule book because it's online for the tournament right there. And I just say, okay, I thought that there was. I guess not. Well, then at the end of the game, the umpire comes up to me and says, hey, I was wrong. There's a courtesy runner. I was like, well, thank you, Dale, for telling me that, for clearing that up. The other umpire came over and told me that it was wrong. But here's the incident that happened. This is the incident that was bad. Before or after the courtesy runner Attempt. Oh, the courtesy runner thing was like in the middle. Of the, that was the first game, I think. Okay. That I, I tried. This was the second game. In the second game, we tied the first game, which is hilarious, right? You don't think of ties in softball, but in pool play, it's drop dead. So at the time's up, you get a chance to have the home team bat last. But if it ends in a tie, it ends in a tie. So because you got to get the games in. Week, yes, and we were already an hour behind in this tournament. We didn't start till four forty. We go into the last inning tied at three. Our first girl gets up, hits a double, and gets to second. And as she's falling off a second base, she's trying to keep her foot on. And instead of just hitting the ground and staying there, she takes off on a jog away from second and then stops halfway between second and third, gets confused, gets tagged out. If she stays on second, we win the game. Two ground balls, she scores, game's over. Instead, two more ground balls, they're good in the field, they throw us out, game ends in a tie. Game number two. All right, get the two shot going because I want Hutton's reaction to this live as, as I tell him this for the first time. So game number two, we're in a back and forth game against a group of very vocal coaches. About midway through the game, we had taken okay. the lead at four to three and they're getting very frustrated. Our girl hits one right back up the middle. I am the coach pitch pitcher. I jump and like do the splits as the ball goes up. It goes between my leg and clearly hits the mound <laughs> behind me. Right, I throw from the mound oh, in front of the mound. I know it's coming. Hits the mound and pops up, and our girl is safe at first. So before I'm about to pitch the next pitch, I'm getting ready to deliver the pitch, and their head coach comes running in and says, "Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. What are we saying over here? What are we saying?" To his bench, and looks at the woman that's his assistant coach, and she says, "It hit him. Appeal it. It hit him." Talking about me. Interference. I, I turned to her. Granted, time has not been called. Right now, it's just a ruckus is the way I would refer to this. We have not officially called time to appeal anything. They are just yelling at me that it hit him. I turned and I said, as calmly as I can, I said, I promise it did not hit me. I, Chad I would glances call like it, Aaron Judge looked at the dugout. No, I call it. Look, and I'm this is 8U softball. I would call it if the <laughs> ball hit me. I said two things. One, I would call it on myself. Two, I'm 6'3", 225 pounds. If the ball hits me, it's going to move. Here's how physics works. You would see the ball (laughs) redirect before it hit the mound if it hit me. Like, no, it did not hit me. And then the parents get involved. Oh, no, it hit him. This was the response to me. First, this is 8U. Second, here's how physics works. Me calmly telling them it did not hit me led to them just saying, oh, no, it hit him. It hit him. But whatever, it hit him. Whatever. So I, I start playing. Well, then our parents start yelling back at them saying, he is going to call a foul on himself. We've seen it happen before. Would not happen. Goes on. They calm down. 
We get in the last inning, down five to four, and there's seven minutes left. And I looked at my assistant coaches and said, this jackass coach, I guarantee you, is about to play stall ball. Because so he knows to start the next he inning. is the home team. Yeah. And he knows they Last can't start back. an inning. So I think we started like four and a half, five minutes. And we this was a low-scoring game. We were getting them out pretty quickly, right? So we thought we'd have a good chance at, at batting again. Hutton, he goes up there. First off, his first batter comes out, sends her back in to get a different bat and batting gloves on to stall there. Comes back in, tells every batter, we watch him do it. Take the first three pitches. They get five. Not only is he taking his time to throw the first three pitches, Hutton, he is throwing it over our poor seven-year-old catcher and past her on the ground where she can't stop it to save time. So it's going to the backstop slowly every time. She's having to get up, run to the backstop, throw it back to him, and he's still taking his time. So this, I don't say a word. I just kind of duck my head like, oh, my gosh, this is actually happening. This guy's doing this to win a pool play game in an 8U softball game. These guys feel threatened. So you know the rule book our way parents, too well. Our He's, parents are kind of you. moaning and groaning like this is real Bush League. Then he just looks at his watch at one point and stands on the mound. I wish I could just do 30 seconds right now to show you how long it is. For 30 seconds until it ran out and then just tossed the ball on the ground because he was looking at the exact time on his clock and just didn't throw a pitch for 30 Did seconds. Did you shake his hand after To end the game. Yes, I shook his hand. Good job, good job, good job. Now, my assistant coach – started mouthing with him and said, hey, for the record, it's supposed to be about the girls playing and not the coaches, so don't do that again. His response was, you would have done the same thing. And the one thing I said back to the guy was, I promise you I would not have done the same thing. And Hutton, I prayed that we'd play them the next day. We didn't Oh, because I wanted to get in the same exact situation, up one run late and pitch it straight out and turn and say, told you I wouldn't do the same thing. Told you I wouldn't do it. And so I could play it fair all the way through. Ridiculous. On Father's Day. That was my weekend. That was my Father's Day. On Father's Day. You know what I did on Father's Day? I was a great example to my players on how to play the game. And this guy is bragging today. His Father's Day got a victory. That dude got whipped by our A team from Mount Juliet. From our better team in our league. So I was happy that that went on to happen. Yeah. We're back at it tomorrow, 3 o'clock Eastern for Hot Mike with Hunter Withrow across the Outkick Network.